But yes, equipping the saints, um, you know, when I was in the Navy, one of the things that was a common theme is you fight like you train. So we purpose to help equip each one of you in the ministry that you have so that you can go out and do whatever it is God's work is and be very effective. That's our goal. How can we help you? Because if we're going to be a church that is all about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, then we got to be able to help you be successful in that. And that's a big part of what we'll be doing. So hopefully we'll look forward to seeing you tonight. If not, we've got another one next Sunday. We're doing the same series of training And that's to help folks either with schedules where they can't make one night or if they're involved in more than one ministry and they can be trained in both. All right. Well, as we continue with our time in the Word, I thought I might just open up with a little story. My dad tells a time when he was in high school and he would come home for school. He loved milkshakes. And he was an expert milkshake maker. Did it for himself. He did it for me and my brother and my sister when we were growing up. Did it for his grandchildren. And uh, just loved it. But he tells about a time in particular where he went home, got those scoops of ice cream, he put them in the blender, put the other little ingredients that he likes to make the magic happen, added the milk at the end, hit the blender, and afterwards he drank one cup, and then he went to take the blender to pour out the rest. And as he looked in, at the very bottom of the residue was a roach leg. He never made that mistake again whenever he made a milkshake. The first thing he would do is he would look inside a blender, changed his life. I just changed yours. You will never look at a blender, or you will never use a blender again without first looking at it, washing it out, making sure that thing is clean and clear. But in just a moment, something that was so wonderful, so awesome, something he just so enjoyed became vile in just a moment polluted by the presence of something that should not have been there. As we look at the book of Chronicles, both First and Second Chronicles, we started last week looking at the both of them. Uh, the significance of it is you're looking back for the purposes of being able to look ahead. You look back at the things that Israel did when they were involved in their worship, and you see the things that they did that were right, that were good, needed to continue to be done. But you also see some of the mistakes along the way and things that happened. And they were learning as a result of reading this, how do we not pollute our worship as we move forward? How do we make sure that our hearts are right and pure and holy before a very holy God? And so as we looked last week at those books and how they'd been written, we saw it was a people who had allowed their worship to ever so slowly become vile. And as a result they became a people who had to live in exile. It was as if God saw them in the, in the blender and he poured them down the drain. He would not do that permanently, but he did do it temporarily. And for 70 years, these people went into an exile. And it was almost like God was saying, you know, a big part of their problem was idols. Sometimes it was exclusively idols. Sometimes it was God plus idols. But God makes it clear, no, 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 I am holy. We sang a lot of songs about that just a few minutes ago, of how holy and set apart God is. And his point was, I'm holy, you can't have these things. And so he said, you like idols? I'll let you have your fill of them. And sent them to a a foreign land where they went and they were exposed to all kinds of other idolatries. And it burned them, such that when they came back, you realize you never see Israel struggle with idolatry again. God broke them. They'll struggle with other things, but it wasn't idolatry. God used that to break them. 
but he, he did it through the harshness of that exile. And so these books, as these people come back and they're entering into a land, once again, there's a means of helping them to connect their worship to say, we don't want to do that again. We want to get this right and not do what's wrong. And so God says, I want you to treat me in accordance with my holiness. See me in that light. And ultimately, the people would be blessed as they did that as well. But as a people chosen by God, they were called to live like it. I want to take you to a particular story in which some of this kind of gets turned around. Again, if you have your Bibles, let's go together to the book of 2 Chronicles, and you can turn with me there to chapter 26. 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to start here in just a moment in verse 1. And we're going to look at a king. The guy's name is Uzziah. He took over from his dad, who was the king, Amaziah. And Amaziah overall gets a pretty good report from the scriptures. He's seen as a fairly decent king. God's testimony of him was this. He did right in the sight of the, of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did some things really good, but in the end, what Amaziah did was he sought out the gods of Edom, and he began to include them in the worship. And so the people, the nation, needed a leader who would do right. As a result, you get this guy, Uzziah, who comes along. He's not going to just take the throne immediately. He comes along as a co-regent. Amaziah will still be leading. He will come along, and he will be trained as he's brought up. And it's kind of like on-the-job training for a king. It's a pretty good deal for somebody in that day. And he has his own father as his chief consultant in how to rule and how to do a good job. So in verse 1, let's take a look at his story. It says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. Now, can we just stop right there? 16. How many of you are nervous giving your keys to your child when they're 16? Our law won't even let that happen until they get to about 16 and a half before they can go solo. And yet here, this guy gets the keys to the nation at age 16. When I think about here in America, you know, you can't be president until you get at least 35 years of age. Uh, that, that is locked. That's, you, you can't waver from that. And how many of you, be honest, when you were young, you thought, 35, why do you have to be so old before you can be a president? And then you get to be my age, and you go, 35, that's a kid. I'm not, give them the keys to the nation? Are you kidding me? It's all a matter of perspective, right? Well, this guy has got the throne, but he's got it with training wheels. And for 23 years, he's going to co-rule with his dad and the nation, tapping into the experience of this proven king. But Uzziah eventually grew into the main leader such that when his father did, in fact, pass away, he was 39 years old, and now he's ready. He can take the throne. And so he had to learn a lot of things. How do you utilize these advisors? Who are the best advisors? Where, where, where does wisdom come in these various areas of the nation? And he had to learn how to take charge. He learned how to prioritize things. And in large part, we could almost call this, he was under a discipleship program with his dad for 23 years. Showing him, leading him, guiding him to eventually releasing him and over time to find success. Verse 2, it says that he built Eloth. That's in the nation of Edom. So that's not part of where Israel currently was. It's what they used to own. And now what are they doing? God is using him to restore it to Judah. 
He's claiming and he's taking back parts of the nation and restoring what it was that God had given to his people. Verse 3, it says he reigned for 52 years. Wow. Put that in perspective. 52 years ago, Richard Nixon was the president of the United States. That's a long time ago. And so here he's got this steadiness as he just maintains this continuity for the nation. Y'all remember when Queen Elizabeth uh, she just recently passed away, but we looked and marked over 70 years, seven decades of this woman being on the throne and all the world events that were happening. And she was there. She was a household name. Everybody knew who she was. And it would have been the same thing for this guy. Every home would have known his name. They would have known something about him. And in verses 4, it says, He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. So you get that. He's hearing the word of the Lord, and he aligns himself with God's word. And the verse continues, And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. If you have a pen, you underline that part of the verse right there. That's a key part of this passage. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. If this is going to be a book that is all about getting your worship of a holy God right, then he begins rightly. He's seeking out the face of God. And where will any of his prosperity, where will any of his success ultimately come from? It comes from God. He, could, he can't look and say, it's me. He has to look and say, look at what God has done. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the parable of the sower, that the farmer might yield 30, 60, or 100-fold. And the point behind that section, you don't get to determine that. God determines that. The call for each one of us is be faithful. Whatever God has given you, you be faithful with that. And that's what he has done. And so as a result, God has blessed and prospered him. The call to seek the Lord with a mindset of obeying him. Folks, can I just say right now, that is the ultimate heart of worship. You want to worship God? It's more than singing. It means you're going to hear him so that you purpose to love him, so that you purpose to obey him. You can sing and not worship. you got to have a heart right before you can actually sing with a heart of worship. And that's where this guy was. His point, he's not going to go necessarily by how he feels. He's not going to go by necessarily his great wisdom. He begins with what has God said. When I've got that, now I know how to move forward. Now, just because we follow God, is, does that mean God is obligated to bless us in this life? Everybody say no. No, no, no. Before you answer, you've got to remember, Jesus was the only human being to ever follow God wholly and completely. And that man suffered. He went through difficulties. Now, he did find an ultimate blessing, to be sure. But it was he had some rough times while he was still here on earth. So to be prosperous, folks, never forget this. That is always based upon the grace of God. You can work and work and work hard and still fail. God has to be the one to touch his finger, place his finger upon you, and give this kind of a blessing. A blessing. And in the end, here's what you want to be able to say. I was faithful. And because I was faithful, God took that and he blessed it beyond measure. That was Uzziah. 
verse 6, it continues. It's, it's an incredible resume. It says, he went out and he warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jopne and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. So these cities that he's building, they're fortifications. They're the means by which he's going to protect his people. And so he has these forces that are set out to, to be sort of like a, a first line of defense. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. Again, note, success comes from the hand of God. In verse 5, again, God prospered him. That's what you have to remember. All success will be in God's hands. But it seems like this guy really does have some kind of a lasting success. Verse 8, the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. You ever notice that? Whenever there's great success, all of a sudden everybody wants to be on that team, right? I've seen, I remember seeing this in football in my you know, five-plus decades of being on the earth. I'd started way back when, when I was just a kid, the Miami Dolphins. Everybody was a Dolphins fan. And then that gave way to the Dallas Cowboys, and then they had the dynasty, and everybody became a Cowboy fan. That gave way to the Steelers, and everyone became a Steeler fan. And then it gave way to the 49ers, and then it gave way to the New England Patriots. And it's interesting to me as I watch, as these things go along, how many people like to be affiliated with success. And that's the way people were with this guy. They wanted to be affiliated with him. And not only that, it's to your benefit. If you're a foreign nation and you might need help, you want the guy who has success. The guy who can help come alongside and take care of you. Verse 9, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress, and he fortified them. So he's a strategist, and he has purposed to take care of and defend his people and his land. Verse 10, he built towers in the wilderness, and he hewed many cisterns. So he's prepared for the enemy advances. This is a place and an area which water is your most precious commodity, and it is so full of rocks. And you've got to go deep into the rock before you're going to find that kind of water. And he has purpose. We're going to do it. We're going to take care of our folks. And if we get assaulted, we have the resources we need, the most important one, and water. He said he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. And he also had plowmen and wine dresser, vine dressers in the hill country and the fertile fields. I'll date myself here, but this guy knows what James Carville told Bill Clinton way back when. It's the economy, stupid. The economy is a big deal. And if you're going to be a key and effective leader, you've got to take care of it. And this guy purposed to do so. It says he loved the soil. This guy loved to get his hands in the dirt. He loved to be able to find these things and help grow them. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster. So he's built up his, his army. And you can see in verse 13, under their direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. And moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling stones. In verse 15, if that's not enough, look at his ingenuity. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. And so as a result, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. 
Anybody here want to say Uzziah for president in 2024? <laughs> Right? I mean, this is, the, this is the kind of leader, the kind of person that you want. He's smart. He's capable. He's, he's got wisdom. Now, we, we look at him as a leader. Let me just be very candid with you. I think that's a lot of you today. A lot of you. You're smart. You have unlimited abilities and potential. You have all these different resources at your hand and this tremendous opportunity for success. So many of you in your businesses, you're going, wow, you're, you're proving yourself successful. And there's a lot of you that are in the government and you're in the military and you're in this whole cybersecurity thing. And I'm so glad that you're on our side because I would hate for you to be on our enemy's side and you are helping. And God is taking that and God is blessing that. But it doesn't end there. You're bringing it into the church. You're allowing yourself to come in and not merely be consumed with work. That's a powerful and effective ministry that we're to be a part of. It's important. But then there's this other component, too, of building the kingdom of God. And and there's components in our workforce where we can do that. But then there's an aspect that we're going to do this in and through the church. And so many of you bring incredible gifts and talents and abilities and experience And I'm excited for it. When I think about tonight and training you, part of it is there's going to be the sharing of the wealth in which as we're giving you helps, you're going to be providing feedback and helping one another, helping us. So it's amazing stuff. we got a lot that we have here, a lot of wisdom and fortitude, just like Uzziah. It's awesome. And I personally am excited about what the future holds as you allow yourself to be used by God as we move ahead and you continue to align yourself in the holiness of God. That's where you begin. Then we get to verse 16. And most of your translations begin with a conjunction of contrast. It says, but. I don't like that one. Not when you're saying something so good about an individual. Verse 16, but when he became strong, His heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. I had you remember or underline that verse earlier. You need to underline this verse too. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. Folks, pride is a parasite that can often come along when we begin to experience varying levels of success and varying levels of God's blessedness. I'll call it the roach leg and the sweet cream of God's holiness and his goodness. How did Uzziah act corruptly? Well, the verse continues. It says, he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And God expressly forbid anybody else from doing something like that except for the priesthood. They were the only ones who could accomplish that. Now, remember, this is a book all about getting your worship right, of being in alignment with who God is and what God requires. And Uzziah has done something. He's crossed the line. He's gone so far as to say, the king's role, you know, that's not enough for me because I've done this so well that I think I need to now enter into this segment. And this guy has gotten smarter than his Bible. I know better than what God has stated. I can make things work even better. And he stepped into the wrong role. 
I wonder at this point, where were his advisors? The men that had supported him for so long, where were they now? Had he, had he fired them all? Figuring he's too smart and I don't need you anymore and, and you always are a naysayer and I'm going to get rid of you? Or maybe he did something different. Maybe he just created, a, cultivated a culture in which everybody else was afraid to speak to him. And they just backed off and said, let's sleep in dogs lie. Don't bother the king. And before long, his head got bigger and bigger and bigger such that his feet would get bigger. He would step over these lines that he wasn't supposed to be in. Uzziah's pride got him alone in his thinking. He got alone. God's champion man had taken these great blessings that God had bestowed and given to him, and he converted it into something vile. His incense here, it incensed God. He got livid over this. And this man's pride, again, made him go, I know better than what, I, I know what God would say in this circumstance. Did he feel like, I can violate God's will and, and word. I'll be okay. I always recover. I always land on my feet. It always works out in the end for me. He can lose his temper. I'm the king. It's okay. People appreciate my success. They'll, they'll, they'll look over that. And I'm sure he felt he could do whatever is necessary to establish more power because I'm God's man. Verse 17, we get another character that we get introduced to, the priest Azariah. And it says, he entered after Uzziah and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. Note that they had to be valiant if they're going to stand up against the king. But there's 81 of them. And Azariah takes the lead on this. And look at how his bravery got put on display. It says, they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. You get out of the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord God. Boy, did you catch that? The priest just gave orders to the king. You get out. Verse 5, the Lord had prospered him as long as he sought the Lord. Something changed. Uzziah wasn't seeking after the Lord. Something is seeking after something within himself, what he can bring to the table. And he has perverted his worship. And that's a big deal. By the way, can sin undo decades long worth of good things that we've done. Oh yeah, every one of you, you can go through a list of names of people who started out so well. They started so good. And then before long, we discover their pride got in the way. Whether it was through, I, I, I'm worthy enough that I can have more, than, more people than just my spouse. I'm worthy enough I should be able to have access to all these funds. I'm worthy enough that, you know, I, I can do whatever it is that I want. And as a result, a lifetime of work undone in a moment, just a moment. To this king, you had 52 years of faithful service 
And the priest says, but you will have no honor. For this one act, for your pride. That's what it comes down. And the priest says, we've got to stop the insanity. Uzziah's response, verse 19, but Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, note this, was enraged. He got mad. He would not, nobody approaches me like this. Nobody treats me this way. I'm, I'm God's man. Get out of my way. Note this about pride. A challenged pride nearly always results in an unleashed anger. That doesn't mean all anger is rooted in pride. But I will say, all pride that gets challenged goes one of two ways. It either goes to repentance or it goes to anger. There's no other options. Why did it make him so angry? Because he didn't like, he didn't like anybody challenging his position. And at this point, God intervened. Verse 19 continues. While he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. Behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. And note this, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. You see the seriousness by which God takes sin, and particularly this sin of pride. God says, I have a holiness. You can't violate that. And you certainly can't take my blessings and then turn them around to work against that holiness. And leprosy here was going to make it crystal clear to everybody else, this is God's doing. This is what God has chosen to enact against this guy and to bring about his consequences. And to me, it's this great tragedy of one instance where pride led to a man's downfall. And you see it in his epitaph in verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Five decades of accomplishment. Done gone. The thinking that I know what God would want, my feelings, my experiences, my wisdom, it's greater than what this has to tell us. We will go with what I say. Don't think that's not a big deal. Look at 52 years undone. To be very candid, I think most of us, we don't see pride quite in that light. I don't know that it, we look at it. We, we can say it and, you know, in our Christian circles, yeah, pride is bad. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have it. But I don't know that we take it quite as seriously maybe as we need to or as we ought to. And in fact, I just think about, you know, whenever you go to a job interview, you remember one of the things you were trained, someone told you, and when they say, tell us about your weaknesses. You say, well, I have a tendency to work too hard. You know, I, I, I just, I really don't know how to turn things off. By the way, all interviewers, when they hear this, roll their eyes. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I've never heard that before. But you see what we're doing? We're taking, we're taking something and in pride saying, this is my weakness is greater than anything else anybody else would have to offer. We take this and we call it a strength. When I was in seminary, I remember Chuck Swindoll spoke to all of us on this. Um, 
And he, he highlighted this particular book by Oz Guinness called The Call. And he spoke about God's true statements to us about us. And these are some of the things that God will tell you, and they're true. You, friends, you're chosen. You are a people who are gifted. And you are a people who are special. That is true. But Oz Guinness went on to say, but you let those three things sink in longer than the first few precious moments, and you will inevitably hear another voice, very honeyed and very smooth. Yes, you really are chosen. You, you are so gifted. My, you are special. Before then, we then start to say this to ourselves, Never out loud, mind you. I'm chosen. I'm gifted. I must be special. How does pride come to you? Where do you struggle with it? Seldom is pride announced. What she does is she just sort of slips in the door very quietly, comes alongside you, and she whispers these really sweet things in your ear that you will love so much. And before long, convincing you, you did this. This is what you accomplished. And we all of a sudden forget, verse 7, God helped him. With pride, prayer goes out the window because you can do it. Why waste time going before God when I can just accomplish this on my own? And then you begin to listen to pride, to believe her. Before long, she'll point you to a ledge. And you'll walk out there with her whispering, you can go out. You will never fall. You'll be all right. You'll always keep your balance. You'll always land on your feet until, like Uzziah, it is just too late. Why is pride so reprehensible to God? Because it strikes at the very heart of the gospel. Because remember, God's gospel is, you can't do it, but I can. And by my Names, for my name's sake and by my glory, I will accomplish on you, in you, and through you. But that always has to be Christ's work. But make a note, if someone pays you a compliment, that's great. Receive the compliment. You don't have to go, you know, you're still in my, my heavenly reward. Can't receive any compliments from you. No, you can. Those compliments are meant to encourage you to be faithful, to continue to be steady. The danger is when it goes the next step and it begins to feed your inner being to say, I can do this. In Isaiah 42, God said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not yield my glory to another. How easy it is to take the credit, to believe, I did it. Before long, that is a departure from the gospel. And we put ourselves in the place of God. And Uzziah, in just that moment, came to recognize that rather than align with God, he had made his worship vile. And suddenly, he was turning it onto himself. And he discovered God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm going to give you a story. While I do, Tom, why don't you go ahead and bring your team on up for a closing song. Story goes of Muhammad Ali. Once again, I don't know if it's true or not. But it makes for a great story. In his younger days, and he was flying on an airplane, sitting there in first class, traveling from point A to point B. And a flight attendant walked up and said, excuse me, sir, 
I'm going to need you to put your seatbelt on. And he looks at the flight attendant and he goes, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked at him and she said, Superman also don't need no airplane. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> when you get to a certain level of success, sometimes you'll find fewer and fewer people will do this with you. You need a purpose to invite it. You need to make sure people can speak into your life to address these kinds of things. Uzziah, he lost them until one day, 81 of them came, but it was too late. And we don't want that. We don't want to undermine the things God has done in and through us. So I'll leave you with this question. When it comes to your ministry, what will be your epitaph? Were you faithful? Or did we bring the roach leg into the holiness of God?